What Makes a Great Leader? In the podcast series, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, I explore this topic with Richard Lummis. We take a look at examples from history, from business, from current events, and even from the movies. If you're interested in all in business leadership, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a middle manager, this is the podcast series for you. We take a look at presidents and everyone in between. I hope you will check us out. 12 o'clock high. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. In this podcast, we take a look at the Alabama Sharpie issue, which occurred at the Trump administration during Hurricane Dorian, where the president released incorrect information either negligently or intentionally, that Hurricane Dorian was going to impact Alabama, and then to bolster his case, drew a Sharpie uh, mark on an official U.S. government hurricane tracking map to try to prove its point. We take a look at it from uh, leadership lessons. We take a look at it from corporate governance lessons. We take a look at it from the compliance angle, and finally, from internal controls. It's a great example, literally torn from the headlines, about what can happen when things go horribly and totally wrong. I know you'll enjoy it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, along with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the compliance weeds. And... You're not only in for a treat today, but you're in for a fun treat because we are going to go into the depths of Sharpie Gate. We're going to stay strong. We're going to sell short, sell long, and uh, perhaps uh, have some compliance lessons. So, Matt, uh, for those three people in the United States who do not know what Sharpie Gate is and listen to this podcast, you want to tell them? Well, this, of course, is the saga that unfolded all last week. All of last week, this was in the news that the president was insisting that Hurricane Dorian was going to hit Alabama, which it never really was going to hit Alabama, and uh, to the point where he took that Sharpie and apparently doctored a hurricane projection map, which, by the way, is a felony uh, violation of federal law. Um, So House Democrats looking for impeachment material. I suppose maybe they could do that. And I have to admit, when this whole story, when this nonsense started at the beginning of last week, I said, Lord, please, could we maybe not have this become an exploration of ethics and compliance issues? I really – I don't want it to get that weird. And then it got weird. And by the weekend, uh, there were some actually really sobering details leaking out about how hypersensitive the Trump administration was – to the weather forecasters in Alabama tweeting out to correct the president that no, Hurricane Dorian would not be hitting Alabama. Um, And lo and behold, we had some pretty good lessons to consider in corporate compliance around encouraging a speak-up culture and the type of leader that is necessary to really get that culture to take root and how, in my opinion, that is a spectrum that goes back and forth. And um, you can all guess where I think Donald Trump falls on that spectrum. 
Um, but that's the, the lessons that we can draw from this, and we can dork out on it as much as we want. So, Matt, uh, I'm certainly going to follow uh, your lead on a lot of these points, but I'm also going to try to draw some other uh, lessons, perhaps, about why it's important for not only a compliance officer, but a business leader uh, to, number one, tell the truth, number two, not put uh, persons in danger by intentional misstatements, and number three, what it might mean for the trust in the stakeholder classes that a corporation has, including its employees, including its customers, including its shareholders, uh, including its uh, boards of directors, including the third parties with which it does business with. When you have a CEO who intentionally not only misstates the truth, but then goes on to criticize uh, anyone who corrects uh, that misstatement with uh, the actual facts on the ground, because I think that's a, an equally important lesson for the business practitioner who might uh, be listening to this podcast. Yeah. So what what made this so creepy for you? Well, uh, to your point there, Tom, about the type of leaders that uh, we should have, I kept coming back to that basic question. Like, in what is it like in the president's head where this – attention, this fixation on what is really an irrelevant sort of a thing. You know, we can literally say who cares whether the hurricane was or wasn't going to hit Alabama because it was transparent early on. It was not going to hit Alabama. It is perfectly fine for a leader to make a mistake and somebody correct him or her, and then the leader would normally say, thank you for the correction. Now we know what's true. Let's move on. And that is not at all what happened. You know, we had this obsession by Trump and others around him to make sure that everybody knows he was correct all the way through. And when he made that statement, that was to the best of his knowledge, which it probably wasn't. Um, but I kept on thinking of that book that is out there. If you're a sort of a, a management guru or a management um, theorist out there. You've heard of this book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins, uh, published in 2001. It's worth reading if you haven't read it, but he had identified 11 large companies that had been good for a while and then suddenly relative to their peers started outperforming and they were doing great. And so what made a company go from being merely good to truly great? Numerous criteria, but he said the single most important thing and the common trait among all 11 companies he had identified that fit that profile uh, was the quality of the leader. And he had identified a little five-point scale, level one up to level five. And these, the leaders at these high-performing great companies were all level five. And level five leaders, I'll just describe the quote what he says to describe them. Uh, they, yes, they are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the cause – for the organization and its purpose, not themselves. Level 5 leaders can come in many personality packages, but they are often self-effacing, quiet, reserved, and even shy. And that really, that was the first thing I thought of as I was watching Donald Trump bumble around on Twitter uh, with this hurricane nonsense, because he was such the antithesis of that. Whereas Level 5 leaders are often humble, they are often saying, I'm not important, the cause is important, so whatever is good to know to further the cause, please bring it up. And I think that ties very closely with what an effective speak-up culture is. 
and when we talk about the importance of the leader, we don't often talk about what the leader should actually do or how he or she should behave. Jim Collins did articulate that, and Donald Trump is, I would say, almost the perfect counter to that because in every step of the way, in every sense of what a level five leader is, Trump is not. And so we should maybe not be surprised that by Friday – his minions uh, were threatening to fire people at the uh, National Weather Service and uh, basically putting out statements saying the president was correct and uh, really stifling a speak-up culture when it wasn't just you know the importance of getting facts out for the sake of their own facts or the sake of the truth getting out. Like when Donald Trump had said Alabama might be hit much harder than people thought – that led people to, in Alabama to call up the National Weather Service in Birmingham saying, well, what's going on? We thought it wasn't going to hit. And that's what made them say, no, Alabama is not going to hit us. Um, Donald Trump's misstatement was having real consequence for real people. And so the employees of the Trump administration down in Birmingham brought correct attention, uh, correct information to the public's attention and they were punished for it rather than celebrated for it. And that's exactly opposite of what a good leader does. A good leader would celebrate all good information coming up, even if he or she has to take a hit and say, oops, I made a mistake first. I'm glad we got the truth out. You never hear that from Donald Trump. He is the opposite of all of this. So, Matt, I, want, I really want to pick up on your, your thoughts around uh, success and the speak-up culture because – uh, for me, it also brought up the wider lesson of when people are punished for not simply correcting a leader, but simply bringing the facts on the ground to light, uh, that really uh, destroys uh, any semblance of a speak-up culture. And if there is a, another situation where uh, an equally uh, incorrect statement is made and people's lives are put at risk, uh, because incorrect information was given out, people uh, uh, employees may be reluctant to come forward. So I think it's important to understand the consequences when you, uh, as uh, Secretary of uh, Commerce Ross, uh, Wilbur Ross, threatened termination with the political appointees of the NOAA if they uh, corrected the president and or supported the uh, meteorologists at Birmingham put out the correct information and, and really the destruction of a culture by those actions. But if I could take uh, maybe a, a couple of other uh, directions, in addition to the um, putting out incorrect information and then threatening termination with those um, who either put out correct information and or supported the effort to put out uh, correct information. What is that going to do for trust in an organization than on the next situation? So if, yeah. uh, say, in the same situation, Donald Trump says uh, Alabama does not have to worry about the next hurricane, uh, and in spite of the fact that meteorologists say uh, the state may be uh, impacted negatively by a hurricane, and they don't take, or he... he uh, Employees at FEMA say, well, President Trump says there is no uh, danger of Alabama. We can't mobilize to protect the state uh, because that would be antithetical to uh, the president's own stated facts. And there could be real consequences if you put out a uh, intentionally misleading statement or even a negligently misleading statement. And from a, a business perspective, I think corporate leaders 
would be loath to uh, put their companies in potential legal liability by intentionally putting out incorrect statements or even negligently putting them out. So I see a real danger for the example this sets for the business leader in putting out incorrect information and continuing to insist that that incorrect information uh, was, in fact, correct, and then stifling all attempts to get the correct information out. I mean, in so many ways, what the president was doing, especially by the end of the week, you know, at the beginning of the week, this was just silly. And, you know, the business of marking up the map with the Sharpie was just, you know, it it was preposterous, but he's been in office for two and a half years. We're all used to that stuff. Um, But what really kind of unnerved me was towards the end of the week when you start hearing that, um, yes, all of his henchmen around him were basically threatening people with termination if they did not come out and back the president. Um, I especially liked when a counterterrorism official from Homeland Security had put out a statement in support of the president. And the last time I checked, counterterrorism officials really did not have much to do with hurricane preparedness. Um, Maybe that's changed. But uh, it gets to, you know, what you had said about putting information out to correct the president. I mean, they didn't the Birmingham people did not put out the statement to correct the president. They put out the statement to get the facts out to the people who needed them. If, as a consequence, that corrects the president, okay. And I think most good leaders, most level five leaders in Jim Collins' scale would say, that is great. We got the facts out to further the most important cause, which for a president should be the welfare of the citizens, for a CEO, it would be the success of the business, um, and there shouldn't be any personality getting injected into it. What we saw last week, specifically by the end of the weekend, was personality all the way through. It, like you said, one of two things will happen. The next time around, people will not correct erroneous information, or they will start to ignore the president or the leader um, and just say, well, the leader does what he or she's going to do, but, you know, pay attention to us. You get these conflicting voices. Um, you know, if lower management was contradicting the CEO and the people were saying, well, it's just the CEO, he or she doesn't really know what they're doing, like, employees would have no idea what to do. And compliance officers would cringe at that scenario. And I know that scenario happens. I know it happens at large companies. probably happens at some of the companies of some of the people listening. But um, it's just – it is a fascinating case study to call out what a good leader does and how a good leader encourages this culture and how what we saw last week was the antithesis of that in every sense. Um, you know, one other point I wanted to raise, Tom, was this actually also made me think of what you and I discussed before about that academic research that came out last year, I think around 12 months ago, that had tied better business outcomes to higher levels of internal reporting. And uh, this was done by Kyle Welch and a few other people at George Washington University, the University of Utah. They crunched a lot of internal reporting data and came up with these conclusions. And I have always said, when you stop and think for a moment, that correlation makes sense because more internal reporting is actually a measure of how much your workforce wants to bring in problems up for attention to get them solved. So the more they bring internal reports up, the more comfortable they are solving problems, the better you get at solving problems. So it should not be 
any big surprise that companies with higher levels of internal reporting do better than their peers across some very specific things, such as the amount of material lawsuits you get uh, from outside parties, what the settlements are, number of external regulatory reports, all this other stuff. It's essentially the same sort of dynamic at work here, except you know now we're seeing yet again, if you have quashed internal reporting, people aren't going to bring problems up, you're not going to solve problems, you're going to wind up with a dysfunctional organization. I'd Far be it from me to say that this administration is dysfunctional, but I think a lot of other people would say that uh, it has a lot of issues. And should we be surprised by that when the priority at the very top is to make the leader look good, not to solve problems? That's uh, – I don't know. That, that's just – that's all I got to say about it. So the um, – I guess the health and safety aspects of this uh, are probably the most troubling to me. Because information, accurate information on hurricanes is one who has uh, lived on the Gulf Coast most of his life and experienced several hurricanes uh, is uh, a critical component for keeping everyone safe, whether it means you shelter in place at your home, whether it means you evacuate, whether it means you simply go down and, and stock up on, uh, on a lot of water and canned goods so that if you lose power, you can eat. And it's, uh, I think, perhaps... or. It's at least one of the most basic raisons d'etre of a government, which is to provide that basic safety and, and more importantly, the information which allows its citizens to uh, maintain their own safety. So the um, uh, that was probably what was the most troubling to me. Uh, and then more from the, from the overall control perspective, Matt, I saw the a failure of a compensated control uh, when uh, correct information was put out by the meteorologists in Birmingham, um, it was uh, basically overridden by uh, Wilbur Ross and others in the administration. So uh, you, you had uh, correct information, uh, <clears throat> the purveyors of that information literally being threatened by higher-ups. So uh, hopefully your business organization does not have these problems. If it does, it's probably either under criminal indictment or no longer exists. You know, one thing that I was thinking about was by the time we got to that end, by Friday, by Saturday, when all of this and other news was coming out about the retaliation, like, at that point, the most important question was, who cares? Hurricane Dorian had already moved off and was somewhere off the coast of Newfoundland by the time this all had come out. But it does show us that um, if you had to work under a much more compressed timeline, um, you know, let's say there was, heaven forbid, but, you know, a nuclear terrorism assault somewhere, there's an explosion, and we're looking about where is the fallout going to fall on a major metro area. That's something where you don't have days and days to kind of figure it out. You've got hours or minutes to figure out what it is you want to tell the public. And you can't have this. You can't have these sort of competing narratives emerging, one of which is about fact and truth, one of which is about flattering the leader. And, you know, a, a nuclear terrorism attack would be an extreme example, but there are still plenty of other um, crises that businesses might experience in a compressed time frame. The more critical, the more compressed the time frame, the more this dysfunction that we saw last week, that just totally screws everything up. Um, and you do have to think about that. And one thing I uh, that dwelled in my mind as I was writing this post is if you go back to Jim Collins and his levels of leadership from one to five, you really could sort of plot out 
a manager's ability on a line. And I understand that no manager is perfect. No manager is going to be that hypothetical level five with a perfect speak-up culture. Everybody will have some moments of level five-ness and some moments of level one-ness, but you could start to think about how many managers are much closer to level one most of the time versus level five more of the time, which ones would get promoted, which ones need coaching. How would our policies and procedures try and skew toward the higher level as opposed to the lower level. You know, you can start to think about developing the executive ranks to that end. Um, Sometimes it's going to be more of an HR thing. Sometimes it will be a bit of a compliance thing. I think any executive worth his or her salt would probably say, this is a great idea. How can we bring this into the boardroom, into the executive suite to try and coach our most promising people so that we can have the best culture? Um, any executive worth his or her salt. Donald Trump apparently is saltless because he just seems to be not interested in it. And I had him on my blog post. I ranked him as a level zero, which is actually not even on Jim Collins' chart. There's no such thing as a level zero leader in his book. But level one leaders, who are the worst, still exhibit some leadership. They, they might just be trying to bark orders out based on what rules allow for them. But and even then, that's not what Donald Trump is doing at all. But... Um, you know, you can try and get a, an assessment of how your culture and your leadership at the top are or are not supporting each other in what we want to achieve. That, that was my point. So, Matt, you want to give us a concluding thought or two? Oh, boy. I mean, short of just making sure there are no Sharpies in the room when you have a poor executive, uh, I don't know what else you might do for something like this. But uh, first and foremost, I am just glad that um, – Number one, the hurricane did not hit Alabama and really didn't bring that much severe damage to the U.S., certainly a lot of sympathy to people in the Bahamas. And number two, thankfully, Donald Trump was such a poor artist that the Sharpie thing stuck out like a sore thumb, and we all knew, okay, that's the silly stuff. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take a look at a compliance or compliance-related topic literally going into the weeds to take stock of the lessons learned for the compliance practitioner. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.